My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I get it. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the chorus of people claiming there's been no end to inflation. To the majority, inflation is raging like a fire rolling up the Man Gulch Canyon. I've never seen such a powerful negative consensus among commentators, Fed governors, and hedge fund managers. They think the Fed's done nothing to slow the economy, and inflation's burning through the very fabric of our country. They decry we need more tightenings to slay the dragon. Makes you want to blindly accept the idea that we're headed for a bitter recession. Because it's the only way the Fed can get the situation under control. The main reason why the averages ultimately rolled over this session, Dow plunging 402 points, S&P sinking 0.67%, and the Nasdaq declining 0.16%. Just today, regional Fed presidents Mary Daly and Loretta Mester spoke out about how we still have a lot to do to stop inflation. Makes you feel like we're going backwards and inflation's heating up, doesn't it? You'd think we're living in Argentina, if not by more Germany. This consensus is awful. This consensus has been hurting stocks. And most importantly, this consensus is dead wrong. I say this as someone who was very worried about raging inflation for months and months back in November. I thought things were so out of control, I warned you away from a whole host of stocks that go down when the Fed tightens. I talked about 100 basis point tightens needed at that moment. Now, I know I feel very lonely saying this, but I can't be too worried about inflation here and now. And one of the main reasons is because the commodities I follow are almost universally going down. They're well off their highs, and we have to own that. We can't just say, well, of course, that's not where the inflation is. It's in the service sector. That's nonsense. Service sector inflation is less important. You don't need to travel. You don't need to go out to dinner. You don't need to fly to L.A. Let's deal with some of the facts. Last night, I spoke to Eric Hansiodia, and he is the CEO of Agco, one of the largest farm equipment makers. He dispelled the great inflation myth to us. He said the actual prices of almost all grains aren't rallying, but they're actually going down in price substantially. Some, something you can confirm by looking at the spot prices. When I asked him why it hasn't been reflected at the supermarket, he said quite simply that it's the jar or the box or the can that the, that the food in that's keeping the price high. That's where the inflation is while the transportation issues and supply chain issues are still with, it, with us. No matter, I think most people are truly oblivious when they say the Fed can't control the price of food. Because if it's the packaging that's the issue, the major plastics and boxes are going down in price right now. As supply increases and demand lessens, polyethylene pricing is getting clocked. Liner board peaked. Two of the economy's most important building blocks. But you don't hear these Fed people or the critics talking about that. If we get enough truck drivers, and I think we will, it's possible that we're very close to a pricing collapse at the supermarket. Now, I know you may think that's totally crazy because just the, the perceived and common wisdom is this. Packaged good companies raise prices and raise prices, and they won't cut their prices. They won't pass on their savings if things get better for you and not for them. But they might not have a choice 
Because you see, this industry that you all think is stuck with higher prices is going to keep sticking to, it's very competitive. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're in the snack business and you don't want to lower your prices because you're finally making a killing here. Your gross margins have gone up big. You've raised the cost of your product and now your raw cost, the plastic bag, is going down. Well, soon there'll be an alpha outlet, UTZ, UTC, an independent that will see its chance and it will cut prices on its snacks. It will just cut and cut and cut in order to take market share away from you. Then the supermarkets see how, what, how little Uts is challenging, so they're going to feature Uts. And the next thing you know, it's done. All that pricing is taken away. I'm watching the stock at General Mills were higher because of serial inflation. Believe me, once that box, once the price of the box or the bag inside comes down, Post cereal will see its chance finally to grab market share, going, say, from 19% where they are to 30% where they want to be, of, of undercutting the competitors. You hurting? Raisin brands, shredded wheat, grape nuts, brand flakes, all those great brand names, they'll do just fine, and you'll buy them. Sure, there are some intractable expenses. Let, let, let's take cattle, okay? A lot of people say beasts were up a big deal, right? But then again, the plastic is the cost. Right. That's they're wrapped up in plastic and the price of cattle peaked ages ago. So have the grains you need to feed cows. By the way, I used to own a bunch of cows. You, they can eat you out of house and home. Believe me. So what do you do? Well, um, you just slaughter them and you bring them to market. And don't forget to tell the kids that they went to Cal Heaven. A memo to gentlemen farmers. Don't name the steer. That's that's the heartbreaker. Chicken. All right. You want to lower the price of chicken? It's easy. Go to Costco. They're the biggest. Great prices. We know that cars have been too expensive, but that's all about the semiconductor shortage. The thing is, in a little notice line on the Texas Instruments Conference Call, they said their chip making is fungible, so they can now manufacture the chips the auto industry needs. At the same time, there's tremendous new car weakness in Europe. Those chips will soon be headed here to alleviate our shortage. That will tip the scales. In the meantime, aluminum's down double digits for the year as is copper. Lumber peaked in February at $1,400 per thousand board feet, sinking all the way to 524 That's emblematic of what goes into a house. Appliances, which have been in short supply, are now in glut. And that's how the stock of Whirlpool can drop almost eight points in a single session like today. Baltic freight index plummeting. So is the price of the spot truck hauling. The unloading of ships, such a bottleneck for so long ago, isn't a factor anymore. The cost of a container ship going from Shanghai to Los Angeles has literally been cut in half. Using a lot of this time from September. These rates will keep heading lower because that's what they do at this point in the cycle. We have gluts in all retail levels. We know that from Walmart, which has now cut its full year earnings twice. The first for hard goods, then for soft goods. They'll all go lower. You'll soon find that stuff in Ollie's or Burlington or TJX or Ross stores. The system's clogged with goods. M2, a great measure of tightness in the money supply, has started to dive. If you do a pull through, it looks like the whole move will soon be erased. Sure, labor's still tight, but we now know job openings fell sharply in June. Total employment vacancies fell to 10.7 million when the street was looking for 11.14 million. If jobs were so widely available, why has the number of Uber drivers had such a dramatic spike? When you see Uber soaring nearly 20%, you don't need to worry too much about wage inflation. Okay, okay, oil's still high, but gasoline has come down to the point where it's hard to complain, even as people will always complain. The price of the pump has now fallen for seven straight weeks, for heaven's sake, and every oil stock is rolling over. You know that, and I know that. And one more thing. One more thing. I told you this earlier. just shows you what's going to really happen in the system. Not that long ago, I talked about how the Summit New Jersey Elks leadership had decided on its own 
to raise the price of domestic beer from $2 to $3. 50% boost. But an important miss we got yesterday entitled, we heard you. The trustees voted to keep prices unchanged. Okay, they added a 3% charge for credit card use, and they bumped imported beer from $3 to $4. Much easier to swallow, though. You can always drink the domestics. Right before most of these rolled over, I said I thought inflation had peaked. I was mocked on the boards and pilloried by the establishment, including the Financial Times, the salmon paper one. But every single commodity is lower since I made that call. Every one. It's kind of insane to be this right and be trashed for being wrong. But I'm used to spending quality time on the cross. Bottom line, while we hear Fed officials and hedge fund managers and strategists opine about how the Federal Reserve will have to double the federal funds rate to stop runaway inflation, ask yourselves which commodities, which goods they're actually talking about. I don't know how far prices have to fall before these people notice. Maybe they never will. Maybe they just don't want to know. But ignorance in the stock business is not bliss. Let's go to Josh in Georgia. Josh. Mad money. Hello, Jim. Josh, how you been? What's up? I'm good. I'm good. I have a question about Norwegian Cruise Line. Sure. Uh, I'm disappointed if you think it's hit its low recently, or do you think that maybe factors that would make it go even lower at this time? Well, I'm just worried about that group. You know, uh, Carnival had to do a stock offering. Then Royal Caribbean did an offering that was very poorly received. Norwegian's hanging in here at 12. I think they're doing okay, but I would not get in with all that other stock sloshing around. I think it makes a mistake to take a buy right here. Let's go to Melvin in Arizona, please. Melvin. Hey, Jim, a big booyah from Scottsdale, Arizona. And I just wanted to ask you, I purchased Bed Bath & Beyond at $20 right before an earnings call several months ago. It initially went up about 30%. I didn't ring the register. And at this point, I wonder if I should cut bait or hang on. Um, I was trading, but now I might be long term. What do you think? Okay, here's what I think. Remember, we don't care where stocks come from. We care about where it's going to. The stock's at five. Uh, It does have an okay balance sheet, not great. Uh, Its sales are terrible. I think that it's uh, two up and one down. That's your call. It's not that bad, not that great, but I'm not looking for anything big here. But thanks for calling. Jeffrey in Nevada. Jeffrey. Hey, Jimmy Chill. I've been following you since you were a young analyst at Goldman. Okay. Love you. Thank for you. all your hard work, man. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Anyway, could you give me your latest and greatest buy, sell, hold on Roku? Sure. I think Roku can bounce. I, I think Kathy Will will come in, the legendary fund manager, and continue to buy it. And she can move stocks, even with $22 million in volume today. But in the end, I think Roku had a really bad quarter, and the rest of the quarters going forward will probably be not that good. So I'm inclined, after a four-point run today, to sell, not buy Roku. Right. While we hear many opine about how the Federal Reserve will have to maybe even as much as double the Fed funds rate to stop runaway inflation, ask yourselves which commodities, which goods they're actually talking about. I don't know how far prices have to fall before these people notice, if they want to notice at all. On Mad Money Tonight, some of the big networking equipment companies are continuing to struggle amid the reopening. But after putting a top and bottom line peak for the second quarter, what has Arisa Networks done to outpace the competition? I'm learning from the really terrific CEO. And Airbnb reported for the bell, so I'm digging into the numbers with the company's CEO. Always love to have them on. And GXO Logistics celebrating its first year as a public company. Rang the bell this very morning. 
So what could another year hold us? The supply chain constraints and logistics continue to be top of mind for the global economy. I'm talking to the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This has been a tough year for tech stocks, but some of these companies are doing incredibly well. Just look at Arista Networks, the networking equipment maker that reported a magnificent quarter last night. A 16 cent earnings beat off a 92 cent basis with higher than expected sales up nearly 50% year over year. Arista also gave you a strong forecast, but after opening higher, the stock ended up getting hit because the analysts simply don't believe this kind of strength can continue. I'm not sure I agree with them. I think it's a very impressive quarter, and it's really amazing this company is thriving at a time when its larger, more established competitors are struggling. So why don't we take a closer look with Jay Sri Yulal. She's the president and CEO of Arista Networks to learn more about the quarter and where her company is headed. Ms. Yulal, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be back. Thanks for always having me oh, and the warm welcome. Certainly. I mean, look, first, just tremendous congratulations. The $2 billion quarter. I, I never thought you could do it uh, because I always felt it was going to be such a cutthroat business. You must have both a better mousetrap and certainly, I guess, the better supply chain and great clients. Is that, <laughs> is that the combination that we should be thinking about? You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back to 30 quarters ago when I first was at your show, and it's surreal to me that we started at that time at uh, less than 100 million a quarter, and here we are celebrating our first billion dollar quarter. Um, I think you always have an amazing way of summarizing Arista better than I can. Indeed, it's our great customers and clients. It's our fantastic best of breed technology that is increasingly becoming more and more strategic to our customers, as well as navigating this extremely challenging supply chain that my team has done a fantastic job. So it's definitely a milestone and a quarter to remember for a long time to come, well, and many more quarters ahead where we're looking forward to such growth. How do you gain 20% to $1.05 billion from the first quarter of 2022? This is not a year over year. This is quarter to quarter. So what is going on at your place? What is going on is some fantastic customers. I call them the M&M, uh, Cloud Titans, and we're expecting both uh, Microsoft and Meta to be 10% concentration customers this year, are really contributing through their investments, the, the Metaverse for Meta, and the multiple use cases for Microsoft, all the way from Leaf Spine, Data Center, Edge, to Regional Spine, to Data Center Interconnect. Uh, they're just all humming together, and it wasn't so long ago before COVID that uh, these companies were spending less and had some digestion of inventory. But the success of our customers is translating to our success as well. Now, a lot nice of, to watch. A lot of people have been having problems getting the supplies needed to uh, services. Tell me that you're about how your supply chain works so well, because we know others have not been able to deliver. 
Well, I think it's a combination of things. We are constantly navigating. Uh, the first thing we did was my team was very proactive in committing to this supply chain that I believe has been the worst ever in my decade to plan ahead. And these are components that were 50 to 70 min uh, weeks long in our ability to get them. So we have committed four and a half billion in purchase commitments across multiple years, even though our business requires much less of that. And so we're making a multi-year commitment and we're throwing uh, cash at the problem. So that's one. The second thing is we're navigating through components that we're not getting. Uh, there's substrate shortages, there's metal shortages, there's component shortages. So even though we're planning for all these components, not all of them are available at the same time. We're having to grow, go to broker parts and pay extra um, money for them, often a magnitude more for them. And we're you know, sparing no uh, costs and we're turning every stone to get these parts. And, and that, at the same time, it's a real challenge to get as much as we'd want. These suppliers are decommitting. So trying to prioritize and make everything hum together is indeed a work of planning and art, and I couldn't be more proud of my team. But there's much more to do. Our demand is far greater than the supply. Okay, given that, $483 million uh, in, in stock buyback? I mean, you guys are swimming in cash. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out, if, <laughs> do you just feel that your stock is dramatically undervalued? Because you, the world's your oyster. You could expand anywhere, Jay Shree. I mean, honestly, that's a huge amount of money to commit. And I think it's going to be a great idea. But I was surprised just how much cash you're spewing. It, it's a little more. We, uh, our board authorized a billion dollar cash uh, stock buyback uh, last October. And uh, we're taking advantage of the opportunity. We invested in two companies. We did do some M&A to the tune of $160 million. We invested in supply chain. Uh, we are still hiring. We're investing in the business and engineering and sales and marketing and, and stock buyback. So I guess it's a holistic spend quarter. Now, I guess the best single clients in the world are these. I love it when you call them the cloud titans. Everybody else seems to be cutting back. And you did mention that they had a pause. I look at, your, at what you say, and I think that they are spending far more than people realize to maintain their dominance. Even Meta, where a lot of people feel that maybe Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know what the right course is, they're spending a fortune to be sure they have the power. Absolutely. I have a lot of respect for Mark and, and Satya and the CEOs who run these companies. Look at their growth of some fantastic large base. They're investing, and they're investing for the future. And things like metaverse is hard to understand, AR, VR. You know, certainly you and I didn't grow up with these technologies. But I think they are the future, and they require, they're very compute intensive. They demand a lot of networking, large flows, small latency, predictable performance, and Arista is smack in the middle of that to solve that problem. Have you been in, in the Quest, in Quest 2? Have you tried it? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, have you been in the have Metaverse with, with Mark? The Metaverse? Ah, have I been there with yeah. Mark? He hasn't invited me to that parade, but well, I look forward to that. I, I, I think I now see what you mean by the latency. It was instantaneous. He was in uh, California. It was actually as if we're having a conversation. It would not have worked, I get, with it, without Arista Network's business. And, and the thing to think about is, is not only latency within the data center, 
but it's also centering all the data in different locations. So it could be in different branches, it could be across fiber optics, long haul, satellites, DWDM. So you've got to think of not only the particular data center, but the holistic centers of data all the way from the client to the cloud. Well, you dazzled us, billion dollar quarter, congratulations. Yes, you were 100 billion, now you're 1 billion, and there's going to be many more. Jay Sri Yalal, CEO of Arista Networks, congratulations, it's great to see you again. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be okay. back. Bye-bye. They might be back after the break. Coming up, can a travel boom power Airbnb to new heights of hospitality? Short stay or long stay, stay with Kramer. What do we make of these numbers from Airbnb? I mean, it's been a tough stock to own, even as travel's booming, because it's one of those richly valued names that Wall Street flees from when the Fed's raising rates. And when a stock is out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, it rarely gets the benefit of the doubt. Tonight, Airbnb reported what I thought was a somewhat mixed but pretty positive quarter. Yet the stock's getting crushed in the after hours trading, although it had run into the quarter. Why? Because some operational metrics like nights booked and gross bookings value, it came in a little weaker than expected, even as the earnings were much, much better than expected. People all of a sudden like the cash flow number, but the forecast for the next quarter was pretty strong. Ultimately, investors chose to focus on the negatives, which is why I think the stock got hammered. I think this is an overreaction, though, and it misses a lot of what's going right at this amazing company. So let's dig deep with Brian Chesky, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Airbnb. Find out more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Chesky, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, thank you for having me, Jim. Good to see you again. All right, so Brian, I want to start. I mean, when I see these, the commentary, it's almost like people think you lost money. You had a great quarter. You <laughs> made a lot of money. And I think that that's something worth cheering. Now, am I just like a ridiculous optimist here? I mean, we are very optimistic as well. Just to put this thing, a couple numbers in perspective, revenue was up 64% year over year uh, if you exclude FX, 58% if you do not. But more importantly, our free cash flow over the last 12 months has been nearly $3 billion. And this is a company that was not even cash flow positive two years ago. So I think this has been a huge business transformation for us in the last couple of years. And we're actually feeling extremely confident about Q3. You know, growth actually accelerated from June to July most recently. All right. So, Brian, let me understand. I know when you and I talked last quarter, we were very, really excited. I was excited for you with a billion dollar cash flow. There was a step back in the free cash yeah. flow. So uh, obviously some people are concerned that perhaps that was a one and done. Why did free cash flow drop from Q1, no, this quarter from the previous quarter? Well, I mean, free cash flow was seven hundred and ninety five million dollars and we had adjusted EBITDA of $711 million. And if you exclude FX, that's $764 million. So what we're actually seeing is some metronomic improvements in our free cash flow um, year over year. And I expect that the coming quarter is going to be extremely strong for us. You know, we're seeing extremely strong uh, top line growth going into Q3. As I said in the earnings call, we're feeling very, very confident. And the other thing, Jim, is that we have not had to change any of our hiring plans. You know, we are not pulling on the brakes. In fact, we're going to continue to step on the gas as far as moving incredibly fast with the team we have. At the same time, you got a lot of cash. Obviously, you're putting your money where your mouth is with that buyback. Exactly. Now, let me yeah, I mean, you know, we think, yeah, exactly. 
Well, I mean, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is there was a story today in The New York Times about people going back to the office in the center of the country. I know that there are a lot of people who are working remotely and they were using Airbnb to find a place to work remotely. Have you lost those travelers? No, no. I mean, listen, some people are certainly going back to the office. But the days of uh, you know, hundreds of millions of people going to an office five days a week, I think, are over. What we now have is flexibility, where you can go in the office if you want. Some companies have stringent policies. But you don't have to believe that everyone ha- uh, has to live remotely for everybody to benefit. All you have to believe is that people with laptops, people that have jobs at laptops, will have some incremental flexibility. And as long as they have some incremental flexibility, including over the summer, we're actually still seeing a huge amount of growth. For example, Jim, we still have nearly a fifth of our night's book are for stays of longer than 30 days. So these longer stays, which really have been benefit and flexibility, are still going strong. So do you want us to start measuring you by uh, earnings per share? I was measuring by cash flow. Look, you know your business better than I do. I'm searching for what the correct metric is to be able to hold Airbnb accountable because I think you're just a juggernaut. (laughs) Well, thank you. I mean, I I think we kind of look at a little bit of everything. I think we should continue to look at the top line, especially revenue. I think cash flow is another really important one and probably probably adjust the EBITDA as well. So, you know, I, I, I tend to think you want to take a pretty full picture of Airbnb. And listen, I'll just say this. I'm 40 years old and I know I'm going to be doing these calls for a long time, these earnings calls to come. And I think that it's really important to just look at what is the overall trajectory of the company. If you look at this company, this is a company that two years ago, some people think we weren't going to make it. Right. We lost 80% right. of our business in eight weeks. We were obviously hemorrhaging cash. If you look at, we went from there to now $10 billion in the, in, in the bank. We are going to continue to be very aggressive in new growth opportunities. Last time I saw you, you announced the new app. Uh, the reception seems to be yeah. pretty, uh, maybe exceed your expectations when you were on. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was an incredible. Um, we launched... Airbnb categories, which is really great because it allows you to now search not just by location, but by some interest. If you like golfing, you can find homes near a golf course. If you like wine, you can find homes in a vineyard. You want to stay in a castle or a treehouse, you can search by those as well. So since we'd launched, and we only launched this new product three months ago, it listings and Airbnb categories have been viewed 180 million times. So I, it definitely exceeded my expectations. You know, we all know that like the bigger an app gets, the more people are used to using it a certain way. And it's always hard to get people to embrace a different way of using our app. But I'm really excited because Jim, now this allows us to be in the inspiration game and it allows us to point demand to where we have supply. So this is the beginning of, I think, a huge inflection point and paradigm shift in how people may use Airbnb to travel. They're not just typing a destination in the search box. They're more flexible. And that is good for us. Well, it's funny because I was watching Marriott today. Marriott had a good number. You've never compared yourself to these guys. You're a totally different, totally different animal. But what I thought was interesting is, is rather than pick a city, after I saw categories, I pick a thought. Uh, it, it's a way to figure out what you want to do rather than book and then figure it out. And I think that you bring in a lot of new young people who just say, you know what, I don't want to just go to a city. I want to do something different. Do you know any idea what the demographic is of the people who take advantage of the app? I mean, to be honest, Jim, it is across the board. I mean, obviously, like our bread and butter historically been millennials. Right. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, I started the company in my 20s, uh, you know, uh, you know, and so but it's been very popular among older travelers, retirees, actually. Um, and also it's very popular now among Gen Z. So it actually turns out that while we used to be known 
for as an app for younger people to save money. It's kind of now grown to all price points, all ages, all demographics, really all geographies around the world. And so that's really what we're seeing. The other thing, and you mentioned this, is most travel apps, you people basically come when they already know what they want, right? And right. so you become a booking app. And I think it's really strategic that you're not just a booking app, that you're in the inspiration business and that people come to you for ideas. And that's really what people what people are now using Airbnb categories for. And again, Jen, this is because not everyone has to go back to an office five days a week. And leisure travel is now becoming much more important vis-a-vis business travel. And that means more people are more flexible about how they travel. And we're giving them more flexible tools to allow them to discover more places. So that's absolutely worth and seeing. And you also, I, I thought it was great one moment in the conference, you mentioned that you're getting more urban. I want more urban. I mean, yeah. I know that you didn't want you had suburban you know, outside. That's great. But urban is the bargain. And that's the best. So that's yeah. that you're getting more and more uh, people want to put their places up to to rent. Yeah, the funny thing, Jim, is that, you know, where we see the fastest demand is where we see the fastest supply. And it makes sense, right? Because a lot of guests right. become hosts and people, as they make money, they tell their friends, hey, this is a great, like, this is amazing. I learned, earned like uh, a month's rent by renting an Airbnb a few times. And so what we're seeing is as urban demand is recovering, urban supply is also now rebounding. And people are now using urban Airbnbs, not just for short-term stays, but for long-term stays as well. Because a lot of people are like, you know, working remotely, they're visiting the headquarters, they're moving to new city for the first time, they're hopping around from place to place. So there's a lot of different use cases that are explaining the rebound in urban, but it's very, very exciting because our bread and butter was urban travel right. before the pandemic. Right. All right. Well, look, congratulations. I like to make money. I like you coming on Mad Money, too. Thank you so much, Brian Chesney, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Airbnb. It's always great to see you. Good job. Thank you, Jim. All right. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, stocks for the long haul. Kramer gets logistical with GXO next. Has Wall Street gotten too negative on the logistics space? Take GXO Logistics, the warehousing logistics play that was spun off by XPO, one of our favorites, a year ago today. Since last November, this stock has been more than cut. It's been cut in half. And that's after bouncing pretty substantially over the past couple weeks. That seems wrong to me. People have gotten very worried about overbuilding in logistics space, especially when Amazon said they got too much capacity. I think we've taken it too far, though. After the close, GXO reported a very strong quarter. And at these levels, it's selling for only 18 times earnings, despite the fact that it has a much faster growth rate than the rest of the S&P. Do not take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Malcolm Wilson. He's the CEO of GXO Logistics. Take a look. Malcolm, first, it is so great to meet you in person. And congratulations on your year one of listing. Yeah, thanks for having me on this show, Jim. It means a lot to me that you come on. And one of the reasons it does is because the numbers are telling me that business is still okay in this country and around the world. Is that a correct read? It's absolutely correct. You know, we've just finished our quarter. What a quarter. Over nearly half a billion dollars of new customer contracts signed. And our business is growing at 20% organic revenue. That's a real statement of the economy. I think we're doing well. And then year over year, the numbers are spectacular in many different line items. Yeah, all the different verticals we work in, Jim, 
that whether it's high-tech, aerospace, agrochemicals, and of course, we're a leader in the e-com, e-fulfillment space. All of those metrics are really solidly positive across our business. I want to drill down both on e-commerce, but first on aerospace. Boeing's a customer. I think Boeing has the most complicated supply chain there is. What do you do to make it so that Boeing can make those planes in time? We work hard with Boeing on all of the tech in terms of getting products right to the place where they need to be. And, you know, hot off the press, we were just awarded by Boeing a supplier of the year, partner of the year. That's an incredible achievement for GXO. Now, uh, you mentioned e-commerce. We've had Shopify say things have gotten weaker. We've had Amazon say that things have, have uh, I don't want to say get weaker, but let's say that they overbuilt, all right? Uh, these were two things that made a lot of people feel that the whole commerce system is slowing down. But when I read your release, I, I don't get that. No, what we're seeing is our large customers, big blue chip international organizations, they're wanting to continue to invest for the future. They're doing that with GXO. We're putting more and more new warehouses down. In the last 12 months, 90 new warehouses we've installed. And of course, all with lots of new technology, tech enablement. So to me, that gives me a sense that they're optimistic for the future. We're optimistic with them. Let's talk about automation. What do I find? I mean, Zebra reported a number today that was not great. So people are a little nervous about that. Um, I know that there are people who are every minute thinking there's got to be a slowdown. You have automation. Um, it seems to me that you would therefore be taking share. And some of the people who are saying business is down have lost business to you. Absolutely. We're definitely taking market share. But what that automation is doing and the reason we're taking that market share is it's giving our customers an edge. It's allowing them to be more efficient, more cost orientated in terms of their services to their customers, to the consumer. Now, can you tell, talk to me a little about the Clipper Logistics acquisition? Your numbers X that were extraordinary, and that was organic growth. So I want people to understand it wasn't because you bought Clipper that your numbers were better. The organic growth is extraordinary. But tell us about this acquisition. Yeah, it's a super acquisition. So we closed it a couple of months ago. We're looking forward to starting the integration process of Clipper. There's still a small regulatory process taking place, but that will be through in the next month or two. And really, it's bringing so many new verticals of activity, new geographies. We're really so excited about it. So Amazon's a great company. Shopify's a great company. They overbuilt. The, do you see that happening anywhere else in the system? I don't see it happening right now. We work so closely with our customers. If I look across all of our warehouses, Jim, last year, you remember, there were some shortages of inventory. Yes. There was all those shipping disruptions, Long Beach. This year, inventory's coming in a little bit sooner. I think so many companies heeded what happened last year and ordered a little bit in advance. So naturally, right now, a little bit extra inventory in the warehouses. Okay, so Malcolm, that begs the question of what's of last 24 hours. I've had uh, the CEO of Agco, who's terrific, big, big uh, farm equipment. And I interviewed the CEO of Caterpillar. They both said the same thing, which is supply chain problems have not been cured. Should they be using GXL? <laughs> We'd welcome those discussions with those companies. But there is a point, right, when people say supply chain, that maybe it's more on them than it is on the supply chain? Listen, I can really comment about GXO. We're a game-changing company. Companies who work with GXO, we're making an incredible difference for them. 
if I go into a, a GXO facility, whose stuff do I find? You'll see many of the biggest, bluest of blue chip company names in the world, international brands. They come to GXO because we've got a great reputation for delivering on time when we say, when we implement a new warehouse, it's critical for companies that that capacity comes online when it's supposed to do. That's why they're trusting GXO. That's why we're growing our business at that record, 20% organic growth. Well, last question. There were many people who questioned Brad Jacobs for splitting up a very good company, XPO Logistics. It is true, clearly, that a more laser-focused GXO is doing better than it would have been inside, buried inside XPO Logistics. Absolutely. Brad had that vision of making a pure play contract logistics company. And GXO, well, we just had a phenomenal year. We've established ourselves the benchmark in pure play contract logistics. I think a a visionary. Well, I've got to tell you, Malcolm Wilson, CEO of GXO Logistics, you were on a year ago. Uh, I was concerned because I love what Brad was doing. I was that he told me not to worry about you. He undersold you. Congratulations on a great quarter in the first year. Thanks, Jim. Thank Bye-bye. you. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Michael in California. Michael. Hey, Kramer. This is uh, Michael. Michael. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. A sunny California booyah to you. I just want to let you know I'm a it. longtime listener and um, a charter club member. And have lots of gratitude to you and your team, and especially a shout out to those people in the steady cam who just managed to cover you they everywhere. They are fabulous. They are fabulous. They'll be working at the Thursday right. club meeting at twelve. That's when I need We're to excited. see you. Thursday club meeting, We're twelve o'clock. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. Okay, what do we need? So, uh, my question, Jim. I'm in the house of pain when it comes to the stock. Should I sell or hold Radware? Radware is a very interesting Israeli uh, cybersecurity company. And I've got to tell you, I think it's too cheap to get rid of. I want to hold on to it. I want to thank you for those great comments. Steady Camp, terrific. And by the way, yes, the Investment Club will convene Thursday at 12 o'clock. Let's go to Clinton in North Carolina. Clinton. Jim, AST Space Mobile, symbol ASTF. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not recommending stocks that are losing a lot of money. We got stocks like the oils that are making a ton of money and they're going down. We're not going to buy companies that are not making money. Not here, not now. Let's go to Vanessa in North Carolina. Vanessa. Hey, Jim. Booyah to you, man. Booyah to you. What's going on, Vanessa? Listen, I need to understand Lionsgate. I bought them years ago. I have a small position. I bought them years ago when they were 33 and still had a dividend. They have since split to Lionsgate A and B. I can't seem to get across the $10 threshold. I just want to know, is this a, a should I sit on it? It's a value, you know, I've got to tell you, Vanessa, it's a value trap. And all the entertainment stocks are doing terribly, including that one. I, I don't want you to sell it down here. 
it's too inexpensive. But I, you have to understand that while it makes money, it's not what this market wants. It doesn't want any entertainment. They're all regarded as being indoor stocks from COVID. Brian in North Carolina. Brian. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? It is going quite well. Thank you for asking. How about you? Thank you so much. I can't complain. Congrats on the new studio. Thanks for the call. I had to ask you about Oh, terrific. Thank you. Yes, it's great. It looks great. Uh, I had a question on Centene, ticker CNC. I'm up 51% on it. Do I buy, sell, or hold? Okay, it's in the right spot. Uh, I think it's doing very, very well, and I want you to hold on to it. I do think that uh, the new CEO is doing a terrific job, and I think you're in great shape. So continue to own Centene. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We've got so many struggling social media and e-commerce plays. Hey, why not consolidate? If I were on the show, I'd merge Pinterest with PayPal, then snap up Shopify and Etsy to create a new colossus that can go toe-to-toe with Amazon. Hey, I'll even waive my advisor fee. It just makes too much sense right now to combine the four into one company that could finally get some love as the first true challenger to Amazon, which is often accused of being an e-commerce monopoly. In short, there's room for some competition. The combined company I'm envisioning here would basically be a craft Amazon, but I think it could give the real Amazon a run for its money. Why? Okay, let's start with the foundations. Pinterest, the most consumer-oriented social media network out there. In last night's earnings call, it was obvious that users are eager to buy what they see. If there's a trip to be taken, they want to book it right there, but they can't. Interest is an ad, Pinterest is an ad-supported site. So if you want to purchase something, you need to go somewhere else. The good news is the new CEO, Bill Reddy, used to be at Google, running their e-commerce and payments business. Before that, he was in PayPal. So I think this would be a natural merger, one that was explored late last year, but it never happened. Pinterest is leaving money on the table here. They need to get their foot in the e-commerce store. PayPal would give them that. Plus, with Elliott Management taking a big position in PayPal and becoming the largest shareholder of Pinterest... Well, this can be a match made in heaven. Hey, by the way, PayPal put a very strong number tonight, a $15 billion buyback. That really accelerated the way the stock acted. Well done. If the activist money managers at Elliott want this deal to happen, they can make it happen. These guys can shake down entire governments. They steamroll executives like it's nothing, and they're real smart. Now, Pinterest has 433 million pinners, and PayPal's got 429 million active accounts. So the critical mass is some heft regardless. With one click, you could purchase what you see. That's what would take Pinterest to the next level, as well as PayPal. But even if Pinterest merges with PayPal, that's not enough to deliver even a glancing blow to Amazon. That's why the combined entity would need to buy Etsy and Shopify, too. Honestly, I think it's crazy that Pinterest and Etsy haven't merged yet. Etsy's the dominant platform if you want to sell your handicraft online. Pinterest is the site where these hobbyists live. Two great tastes that taste great together. Then, when it comes to shipping and fulfillment, the task should go to Amazon rivals Shopify. They have deep knowledge of how to work with individual businesses, which would make 
uh, this combination uh, company an unparalleled competitor. Think of the advantages that could accrue here. First, Etsy can get rid of its vast shipping apparatus and use Shopify's, which is the acknowledged leader in the fulfillment space. Shopify offers financing for some of the companies that sign up for the product. It's very pro-young entrepreneur, too, and that jives perfectly with Etsy's ethos. PayPal can offer an Amazon Prime-style link to all customers. It would be a perfect match. That way, Pinterest doesn't have to build out e-commerce. It's done for them. Most importantly, I think the activists at Elliott Management could make all this happen and do so in a short period of time. Is it a pipe dream? Would this this cause aggressive antitrust against them? Would the Justice Department look at them, FTC? Honestly, I'm betting that Amazon is so disliked by this particular government, especially by the head of the FTC, Lena Khan, that the government could easily get behind this four-way combo because they love to see a real competitor to Amazon. Nobody's been able to stand up to Amazon because it's so efficient and has so much heft. But Pin Pal Etsify could finally give it a run for its money. I like to say there's always a market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Now. 